This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is underwritten by Syraclad. The Syraclad Rainscreen Fiber Cement Siding System, a proven track record of performance in Japan for nearly 40 years. Zero chemicals, triple coated and factory finished color layering. The ceramic and photocatalytic coat provides 365 day self-cleaning and a 20 year fade limited warning. This high performance siding system serves as an honored innovation with parent company Panasonic and Kubota. For more information, please visit syraclad.com. Our guest today, we're really honored and excited to uh, to welcome Bradley Curry, principal and founder of B9 Architects. The founder of B9 Architects, Bradley Brad, is passionate about excellence and service. With a master's of architecture from Harvard University, he focuses on the intersection again the intersection of education, policy, design, innovation, sustainability, and real estate development. Brad develops multifamily infill urban projects to enrich the community through walkable, vibrant density. You can find them on the web at b9architects.com. That's b9architects.com. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Tom, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. (laughs) The honor is ours. Believe me. Thank you for uh, the adjustment for before our show with... (laughs) We're doing this uh, literally uh, on location in Newport Beach, and it's outside, first time. Uh, <laughs> Brad, I love your work. What else can I say? Thank you. Brad, what, what do you, uh, do you have a quote or mantra or galvanizing <sighs> mindset or thought that helps you personally and professionally that you can share with your audience to capture as much as you can the essence of who Brad is? Sure. It's actually an interesting question. I, I didn't and I, I don't, but I did find one that I think will, really? will work for this purpose. Um, you know, as you mentioned in the beginning, uh, I, I do work at an intersection of a bunch of different things and it was hard to find something that felt that encompassed it. So I found one. Uh, it's by Jan Gale. Um, and I, I really like this particular quote. Um, it says, it's very easy to study form. But architecture is actually the interplay between life and form. This is much more complicated to study. Uh, so I, I definitely feel like within the work um, and my past experiences and study, I have found uh, a way to work through complexity. And I am actually drawn to it in many ways. Uh, and do think that the intersection of the things that you've mentioned in terms of education and policy Design is kind of a priority, but filters through all of them, Um, uh, you know, real estate development um, and just general managing practice and trying to achieve excellence. It's an inherently complex uh, problem. Uh, I'm drawn to architecture because of an interest in form and space and the quality of those places, Um, but realize that um, without the use and interpretation of those places, they don't have the same meaning. And so I'm, I'm very interested in how our projects might 
um, or the work that I do outside of our projects might encourage um, reinterpretation or even misinterpretation of how some of these spaces might get used. Um, we recently did a, a renovation of a commercial space into an indoor climbing gym, and it's not a sort of common project type for us. And it had been used as storage for a long time. And so to go into this space that felt, you know, compact and try to make it feel the opposite of that for an indoor climbing space, uh, again, just sort of looking at the how life and the use of the space really helps activate the form. You're drawn to the complexity. You share with your audience today what that means to you, to be drawn to the complexity of it. Um, it means having to come up with solutions, right? Um, and I think that as architects or as an architect, I, I envision um, that our my work, the work of our practice is looking at a, a layer, a layering of information, a layering of, of voices, a layering of sort of context and history and, you know, regulations and economics and social um, issues. And so our solutions have to be beautiful and they have to serve the needs of the client and they have to engage with and solve uh, all the requirements of regulation. But there's so many other things that I know that we need to be able to solve too. And it, it does seem like uh, we seek out and solve projects that are inherently more complex than a lot of the ones that may be done around us. Um, and I do think it's it's due to my interest in understanding that layering um, and understanding how um, the simplest solution might not be the best one. And so we do we do look to um, produce an outcome that hopefully at the end of the day doesn't give hint to all of the complexity that was required to be solved. Um, but I, I, you know, maybe there's a little bit of awareness around it. Uh, some of my favorite projects are the ones that had the most involved process. How? They're somehow more, sorry, they're somehow more satisfying, right? You get okay. through all of this intensity uh, and you still achieve the goals at the end of the day. This is a question I don't know quite how to ask it. Uh, so maybe you can bring some clarity to it is how do you also quantify the value of what you do? Because there are so many complexities that you're individually uh, sifting through and distilling in your mind and also collectively as a company distilling that complexity to make it, as you said, I go back to you, said, beautiful. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, okay, I, think so. a, I think it's a fantastic question. It. I mean, um, I do know that B9 works within a space that a lot of architects work within. And I do know that we come up with solutions that, um, you know, we are specific to our mindset and our approach to the project. Um, and that's not to say that they're not alike with other work at a similar scale or that they're not, you know, pursuing similar issues and values uh, or solutions as other projects at similar scales. But um, <clears throat> I think, you know, service and excellence are the things that we can really push forward in the practice as we work with clients and try to put value on that. I think it's very hard to value aesthetics uh, around uh, when you describe why B9 is the firm, you know, uh, we do 
certain things because they're important to us. We design things in a particular way that are in our portfolio, but they're specific to the request of a client at that moment, right? And so the portfolio represents, you know, a broad range of collaborations. It doesn't represent like the penultimate project that B9 wants to do, right? Because it's all it's all a collaboration. It's all out of that complexity. Um, you know, in a sense, I also believe that as um, an industry that works within, you know, a, a real economy, right? We, we, we do housing. And so as, as architects that focus on housing, you know, we are very much responding to the nature of the global and local and national economies. And um, that does mean that oftentimes the valuation of the work is based on the market. You know, it's based on me being able to say, we provide this, and that's better than the market. And then having to have a discussion about that with a client and, you know, hoping they see a little bit more. Uh, and therefore, you know, that's why they're choosing us as potential value. But here's another one. I, yeah, thank you. I didn't know how to ask the question. Yeah. Uh, another one that might be a little involved is you mentioned the word um, here, meaning. How do you also derive meaning from the work that you do? From the beginning to even even the uh, the end of the project, it, meaning I, I've never asked this question, so I don't know how to ask it again. There's two okay. questions in a row. I don't know okay. how to ask it, but I want to hear okay. you. Um, I would say meaning lies in the process. It lies in the outcome, um, and it's it's derived from the people. So, um, and I haven't answered this question, so I don't. I don't have this rehearsed, right? We're both new. So, so in my mind, um, uh, and there may be more to this, but meaning um, hopefully is a result of the values of the individuals involved. Uh, it's hopefully enhanced through a collaborative process and a collaborative experience. Um, that would encompass the people, right? And the connections and hopefully the ability to listen and expand upon a vision. Um, I would say vision and purpose are really at the root of meaning if I had to get right down to it. And so, you know, as a company, we have, you know, organized thoughts over the years around vision and purpose and values. And, you know, when our projects have the most meaning, it's because they identified or they sort of encapsulated as many of our core values or got as close to our, vision or purpose at that moment, right? It, it evolves, uh, but at that particular moment. And so um, I think there's also meaning that comes out of just like satisfying or going beyond the expectations that someone brought to the moment, uh, whether that's uh, a client or a contractor or a consultant or, you know, somebody in the local neighborhood who has a voice and has tried to find a way to get their voice into the process. Um, yeah, maybe the, the greatest meaning for me is when I can tell my kids about it and I can feel good about it. Right. And so that, that, that it, it captures more than the intensity of the work and the complexity of the problem. It can be described in a way that they can appreciate and understand it and, you know, pass it on. Well said. You're listening to the architecture and innovation podcast. We're talking today with Bradley Corey architect and founder of B9 Architects. For more information, feel free to visit their website at b9architects.com. 
B9, the number 9, architects.com. We'll jump back to what you uh, talked about at the start of your show, Brad, is uh, life and form. Can you go into that a little bit? Life and form. Yes. Um, form is definitely a draw for me in terms of my studies and my practice. Um, trying to create spaces, um, trying to create spaces between buildings, um, within projects that give, get, provide solutions to a sort of a unique understanding of our program, our, our location, our values, our, um, materials. And, and so if, if form can respond to more than those things, then I've achieved what's important to me, right? I don't, I don't see form as simply being an answer, right? Okay, I've got three questions. I've, I've sort of filled out my answers to those questions and boom, there's form. Uh, for me, the form is, is going to go beyond the sort of reconciliation of those investigations. Um, the materiality, the texture, uh, the kind of depth, um, all of those things are going to add quality to form. Um, and I guess when I'm, when I'm speaking about form, I'm thinking the internal volume of something, whether it's an object or, or like a, a space, um, think inside a train station, for instance. Um, there's, a, there's a volume that's of a scale that's created by the form of the building. Uh, I think there's form that's created through um, something very kind of solid and, and shaped that could be more like industrial design and, and a product. There's form to that. Um, and then I think there's the form in between things. And so I think the one that maybe is most interesting to me is the form in between things. Um, so that there's, and this is where I think life would begin to come more into play, where you in, either in a project or simply in a city space, or maybe even in a, a more rural space, um, there's a there's an exterior, you're in it right now, right? There's an exterior volume between things, and there's form to that. And I think those things then sponsor life and use and excitement and interpretation. And, um, you know, as an architect that focuses on housing in an urban environment, um, we can achieve those kinds of exterior in-between form spaces in courtyards, um, in relationships to streetscapes, um, you know, certainly within the buildings, but those spaces are much more fine grain and, you know, in a sense are, are less, um, they're more private and, you know, they're less sort of on display. Um, we do work to create volume within our projects that's not, um, maybe typical and not as mundane. And so where we can generate vertical form inside of what's otherwise very horizontal space. Uh, so again, housing, uh, commercial space where our work is generally focused is fairly horizontal in nature. And so where we can expand spaces vertically um, and, you know, create double and triple height volumes within a, a typical, a more typical horizontal environment. Again, that I think, starts to create the opportunity for uh, sort of life and, and almost celebration of space, thinking almost of like a more of a sacred 
sacred space, then a mundane space, um, one that's, you know, less driven by uh, stacking space and more about volume and celebration of, of, you know, community or whatever. Can you go into that a bit, that celebration of space? I've not ever heard of that. And yeah. I, I, in hindsight, seeing your website and, uh, and the, the work you've done, I think that's an accurate de- description of what you do with your spaces. There's a celebration with all of it. There, or there's a liveliness. I just didn't think of the word celebrate. Okay. What, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think about the kinds of religious spaces that, you know, people spend time in and or, you know, a transport. I said train station before. I don't really know why it came to me, but spaces that already have verticality in their volume. Um, and in, in my experience, being in those spaces, whether they're inside or outside, where you can experience that kind of something greater in scale than you, um, even in the mountains, right? Skiing, hiking, mountain biking, being out in nature with these incredible tall trees and walls of rock. And uh, I find those to be, you know, more sort of inspiration and a little celebration. And, you know, when you sit in an office that's got a 10 foot ceiling or a nine foot ceiling or a 12 foot ceiling, you know, then, then we look to say our house, we look to say, well, how do we create that feeling if we can't have the verticality? And that's through daylight and that's through openings and, and views out and, you know, potentially again, connections to those spaces between whether it's a courtyard or something else. So, I mean, I think as, as humans, um, and I watch, you know, through my children just to see how, how they interpret things that go on around them. And, you know, they're, they're constantly in a sort of joyful, uh, pursuit, right? Uh, it's, it's a lot more fun to be in a joyful pursuit than being the sort of everyday repetitive activities that, that might otherwise go on, of course. Um, so I think there are spaces that can encourage more of that kind of, uh, inspiration, uh, more of that celebration of life. It's not something that, you know, happens in every space that we do and every project that we do, but it's something that's definitely discussed and kind of at the forethought of my mind that we are making spaces that go beyond what's maybe expected. Wow. Brad, you know, I, I just love this about you. I don't know if anyone's ever told you, but you have a, a very lyrical cadence to your, you, the way you articulate. It's, it's, it's three, two, three words encapsulate a lot. <laughs> so I know that there's a tremendous amount of thinking going on with you to make it out, to actually come out very, very simply. Is that by design or you've just always had kind of had that sort of a, I don't know if you want to call it a gift. Why not? I, I, I like it. I think it's cool. I, I don't, I don't know that I can say qualitatively how it happens, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> oh, it. <laughs> he just did it. He just did it. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Like I, I love this one. The verticality in their volume. Describe that because that's just it. I I get it, but for your okay. audience, yeah, like, sing it. Well, I wish I had a singing voice. <laughs> um, I do not uh, <laughs> sing it so, in your own voice. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the best way I can describe it is most space that people experience daily has a greater dimension in a horizontal direction than in a vertical one. And when I, when I think of the spaces I've been in in my life that have a greater dimension vertically, or at least a more expansiveness vertically, they tend to be non-residential, non-commercial spaces, which means you're, you're in it 
in an isolated sense of time, right? It's happening once a week. It's happening when you're traveling. It's happening when you're not in those uh, sort of normal everyday experiences. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've always used the word volume and I've always been interested in the relationship between horizontal and vertical. Um, Again, because of the fact that I feel more expansive, right? I feel less limited when I'm in a space that has a taller height. Right, the ceiling's higher. The ceiling isn't perce- perceptible. Um, light comes into the space in a different way. Um, sound deals in the space in a different way. It's why I thought about sitting outside for this conversation. Kind of wished I had. Uh, you're getting, <laughs> you're getting to have that bright experience. Um, but you know, architecture. You know, it, it's a it's a practice of creating sort of boundaries, right? Definition to space. Now you've got me self-conscious about the, the three words. I'm just oh, no, I love going. it. I love it. Hey, you ought to be proud of it. That, that's what, it takes a lot of work to be able to say things so succinctly like that. That's good. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, but like, you know, if I'm going to design a space or I'm going to work in my office and my, my staff, we're going to work to design these, these spaces for these projects. Um, I need us to go beyond what is just sort of a, people are just accustomed to. And I think we can do that in a variety of ways. One way is to add vertical spaces when possible uh, within them. So a living room is double height, right? Or a stairwell opens up higher at the highest floor and has a skylight above it. And that draws light down into a a space adjacent to it. And again, it's like the, you know, these, these spaces are generally linear in nature and they're generally horizontal in nature. Um, So a hope of, of providing, I don't know, something that can inspire a little bit uh, a little bit are you yeah. kidding a, a lot of bit lot you're of listening it. to the architecture and innovation podcast our guest today is bradley curry architect and founder of b9 architects our uh, public service announcement bear with me a second i am outdoors so there is no limit in my in my sightline here is uh, for two two organizations one is earth justice and earth justice is the premier nonprofit public interest environmental law organization they wield the power of law and the strength of partnership to protect people's health preserve magnificent places and wildlife to advance clean energy and combat climate change and our second public public service announcement is for one percent for the planet and that is uh this started when two businessmen met and bonded over their shared love of the outdoors realizing their responsibility to protect our planet they decided to give one percent of their sales back to the environment whether or not they were profitable so obviously a huge commitment here this is great for more information feel free to visit their website at one percent for the planet.org and the earth justice website is earthjustice.org Org. Again, we're talking with Brad Corey, architect and founder of B9 Architects. Their website is b9architects.com. Brad, uh, I'm going to go on another word. You're, you're making this real easy and fun for me today. Is joyful pursuit. Describe what joyful pursuit is to you. Well, I mean, the immediate thought is it's the opposite of work, right? <clears throat> okay. So... Um, I have an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old, um, and and I definitely perceive life in a different way when I watch them doing what they're doing. 
Um, and definitely in my mind, like I have a joyful pursuit in the work that I do. And I, I've talked about this with my son, who's the older of the two, because he's saying, oh, I don't know what I want to do. And I said, well, you know, maybe you pick something that you love to do and then it won't feel like work. You know, it is work because that's what people tell you it is. And so in my mind, architecture for me, um, teaching, working, mentoring people within my practice and within our industry, that's a joyful pursuit. Uh, volunteering to, um, you know, improve um, advocacy as a volunteering as an advocate to to improve code uh, and urban environments and urban spaces and the sort of forwardness of Seattle is a joyful pursuit for me. Um, they can both be stressful and time consuming and difficult, right? Um, but I think being in a position in life to where, um, I, I don't have to choose between the things that make me happy. Right? I can just pick one and do it for a while. And then I go on and pick something else and do it for a while. Um, I love the outdoors and, and that's why I relocated to Seattle over 20 years ago. Um, you know, being able to have those things in my life makes me better at answering questions. I think it makes me better at, you know, building business and, and talking to people. I think it definitely uh, makes me, you know, happier and calmer and, and, and un undoubtedly uh, hopefully a better listener at the same time. So I don't know. Does that answer that question? Absolutely. I'm okay. better than I could have thought. I'll go to, go, go to another. There's so many. We definitely have to have you on another show because <laughs> this is, this is fun. Layering of context. Can you share that, you know, what that means and how, how that you would describe it? Layering of context. Um, I think there is uh, a difficulty for cities as they grow um, to not be self-conscious. And I think there, at least in Seattle, uh, where I live in practice, um, you know, it, there's been a tremendous amount of growth in the last 20 years. And what that's created is a layered context, right? Where there's um, what I would call more established um, fabric within the urban context, um, scale of building, um, sort of typology of, of building or use, um, type of street, um, whether the, the neighborhood feels walkable or not, uh, the interest and kind of voice being present of um, the local neighborhood or the immediate neighbors. Um, and then we add to that climate and we add to that uh, thoughts about solar exposure and, and, and landscape and you know, sort of nature within all this. Um, we end up having to operate in a very layered context. Mm. Um, I'm not, I'm interested in how the process works and how the solution works. I'm less interested in whether I fit in that context. And so I think our best projects are the ones at the end of the day that feel well scaled, that feel textured, that have depth to them, that engage the street um, and, and engage the, and, and sort of add to the life of the street. Um, you know, also build and sort of celebrate life in internally, but, not interested in having the project feel like whatever was there before or whatever is across the street from it or whatever is next to it. And so that 
hopefully at the end of the day, our, our proposal, our, our contribution as a building, as a you know, set of forms adds to the layering and doesn't try to emulate or, or kind of make up for something that may be now removed. Um, you know, we're definitely thinking forward in our work. We're, you know, we're aware of what's come before. We're aware of what's there, but we know that it's ever-changing. What's your take on this? And I just came up with this a, a second ago in my brain, Brad, is how important or important is a sense of fearlessness in architecture and design, a sense of fearlessness. I don't even know if that's relevant, but it just seems like you just I keep mean, going, especially as a child. You know, children just go. They don't think yeah. of it. Um, Because I don't just practice um, and because I'm interested in growing the practice, I assume a certain amount of risk. Um, and I, I definitely think that there's uh, an awareness of the risk that's important, but then a kind of having to move through it and past whatever the fear might be around it. But I don't, I don't think I would call it fearlessness. Okay. Um, there are definitely, you know, times in the history of this practice of B9 where uh, we've had to gauge the risks that we were willing to take in terms of a new typology or a new client type or a new municipality and then manage that and try, you know, not to obviously be fearful as we go through the process. But I think having a healthy sense of those two things working hand in hand uh, has been important. What would you like to share with your audience today, Brad, that we, uh, we may not have talked about or touched on? Um, that in my mind, being, being within an, an urban practice that's small, uh, we've ranged from one to 15 people or currently eight um, that I can take an active role and so can you, the listener, uh, in helping to shape the growing city. If you're in a city, uh, I'm definitely drawn to city and I'm drawn to urban, um, context and solutions and problems. Um, and so, you know, being willing to get out of one's comfort zone and being willing to, step into a conversation that's bigger than what the practice is maybe involved in on a daily basis um, has allowed me to go into a, a scale that I couldn't do as an individual or as a principal or as a, you know, owner of a small firm. Um, and so, you know, being involved in civic or public process and trying to um, either share expertise or, or engage and ask questions all with the hope of, of a different future process, which might produce better outcomes. And so I've been doing this for the last 15 years in Seattle um, on top of practice. And it's, it's challenging, it's difficult, it's frustrating, and it can be extremely rewarding and extremely inspirational. And, um, you know, as a result, I get to stay in those conversations when the city starts to have ones that are within my kind of realm um awesome brad it's been a, a true honor and pleasure having you here today thank you very much I, again i really look forward to having you again if, if you're interested absolutely yeah yes, and, thank and, you. and thanks again for the invitation and for the thoughtful questions um you've put some thoughts in my head that i will keep uh keep thinking through over the weekend and and to the future <laughs> thank sure. you brad appreciate that you've been listening to the architecture and innovation podcast. Our guest today has been 
Bradley Corey, architect and founder of B9 Architects. B9 Architects prides itself on designing and helping clients execute the highest quality projects. They also create uh, uh, projects specifically to the site's constraints and clients' goals. Their proactive approach to each municipality's entitlement process and their years of experience with the Seattle's permit and design review programs help them improve the quality of their projects in each iteration. For more information, feel free to visit their website, b9architects.com. That's B number nine, b9architects.com. You've been listening, again, to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast, underwritten by Syraclad. And our executive producer and host of this show is yours truly, Tom Dior, and our chief audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. Look forward to uh, you joining us on our next show. Thank you very much for listening. Cereclad is a high-performance fiber cement siding system in one size with triple coat technology and 365 days of self-cleaning along with a 20-year fade limited warranty. Cereclad also offers hundreds of design options. For more information, feel free to visit cereclad.com.